Thank you so much. Worship team, great job as always. I love that last chorus that we sing there. Above all else, we adore the name of Jesus. The Bible says that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. If you believe it, say amen this morning. What that truly means is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. And that we can either bow now or we can bow later. So when we're singing that song, and we're saying, above all else, I adore your name. Really what we're saying is, above everything else, Lord, you have authority in my life. And that's what makes all the difference. When Christ has authority in our lives. When it's not about what we want, but what he wants. Not about our plan, our purpose, but his plan, his purpose. Um, so this morning, I hope and pray that what we've seen is real for each and every one of us. May he have authority in my life and may he have authority in your life john chapter 15 is what we're going to be looking at this morning we're going to start there in verse number one and i'm going to read through verse number 11 we'll come back after that i want to pray for you and i've got three main points and then we'll be finished john chapter 15 starting in the first verse jesus said i am the true vine and my father is the husbandman every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and watch what he says, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. I love that. For without me, ye can do nothing. How many of y'all know it? How many of you understand without Jesus at work on us, in us, and through us, we can do nothing? There is nothing effective going to happen through this ministry or any other ministry apart from the work of Christ and the hearts and lives of his people. We can go through the motions in our power. We can actually do church in our power. But the ministry itself cannot be effective in changing hearts and changing lives unless Christ does it. It's Jesus that saves souls. It's Jesus that adds to the church. It's Jesus that breaks addictions and heals families. It's Jesus that does the work in us that needs doing. Without him, we can do nothing. However, remember, through Christ, the Apostle Paul says, we can do all things. Without him, nothing. Through him, all things. It's amazing. Let's go on. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. That ye hear much fruit, that, or excuse me, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy, everybody say joy, might remain in you that your joy might be full. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this morning that without your power, nothing effective can be done. 
And Lord, I'm thankful that your power is still at work in your people's lives. I'm thankful that you are still in the saving business. So if there be one here that's not yet come to the saving knowledge of you, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would convict that heart and bring them unto yourself. Lord, I'm praying that you would do the work that needs doing today. There's some that need convicting. We pray that you convict where conviction is needed. There's some that need comforting. We pray that you comfort where comfort is needed. Lord, you know what we need much better than we know it, for you made us. You know us better than we know ourselves. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would have your way. You would have your will. You have complete authority in this ask you to do exactly what you want to do. May we stay out of your way, but be used by you. Lord, I pray that you move me out of the way. Use me for your honor and your glory. Fill me up, Lord, I pray, and pour me out your truth to your people this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. There's three main points that I want to make concerning John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. First of all, I want you to see that it's all about connection to the vine. Connection with the vine gives life to the branch. That's point number one. Connection with the vine allows the branch to bear fruit. That's point number two. And then point number three is connection with the vine produces much fruit. Now before we get into those three main points, I want to define who we're talking about. I want you to see what the Word of God is saying um, here in John chapter 15 about who Jesus is, who the Father is, and who we are. And I want you to see who he's talking to right here this morning. First of all, let's define the vine. What does it mean when it says, uh, when it t- speaks of the vine here? Well, the vine is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. The vine is divine. Can you say amen? Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. And he makes this plain to us by the statement he makes there in the first verse. He says, I am the vine. Now the word I am tells us who he is. Here, we know because we've been studying this for the last month that all of these I am statements is Jesus making the claim to be divine. He's making the claim to be deity in the flesh, God incarnate in the flesh. See, what Jesus is saying to them and what Jesus is saying to us is that He is the great I Am, the eternal, ever-existing One, the God of the universe. He's making it plain that He is the God that was spoken of all the way back in Exodus chapter number 3. You remember when Moses was at the burning bush and, and God called Moses to go into the land of Egypt and lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And Moses said, Lord, I can't do this. If I go there, who am I going to say sent me? And, you, and, and the Lord said to him, you tell him the great I am sent you. Now when Jesus says I am here in John 15, he's making the claim to be God. If you believe it, say amen. He is God the Son, He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate in human flesh coming to do for humans what humans can't do for themselves. It's God coming to be our Savior. It's God coming to reveal to us truly who He is is the ministry of Jesus. Let me say something I tell you folks I love about Jesus. Jesus didn't just talk the talk about being God. How many know he walked the walk? He didn't just say he was God with his lips, but he proved he was God with his life. He did. He said, brother, what do you mean he proved he was God? 
Well, let me tell you what we have in the book of John. In the book of John, we have eyewitness accounts as to the things Jesus did while he walked upon, the, upon this earth. John actually says in John chapter 21, many other things did Jesus do in the presence of these disciples. And if I'd written them all down, the books of the world, or the world would not be able to hold the books that, that would contain all the works of Jesus. But these things I have written down so that you might believe that he is the Son of God. John is saying, I saw what he did. I heard what he said. And I'm writing down for you eyewitness accounts of his actions. He didn't just talk it. He walked it. He did things like causing blinded eyes to see. Can you say amen? He did things like causing deaf ears to hear. He, had, he did things like causing lame feet to walk. He did things like healing a withered hand. I mean, the man's hand was drawn and withered. And Jesus healed him. And immediately it straightened and was able to be used. That's the things Jesus was doing. He was doing things that only God could do. Then he walked on water. He spoke to a fig tree, and immediately the fig tree withered. He calmed the raging sea. Now what does that say? Well, what that says is, Jesus had authority over all physical things. If you believe it, say amen this morning. See, he had authority over all matter, for he created matter. We believe God created ex nihilo. That means God stood on nothing and God created everything. God created matter itself. Matter can't create matter. God created matter. He is. He is the prime reality of the universe. He's the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, the creator that created creation. Now, if Jesus created the eyes, he can tell the eyes to see. If Jesus created the legs, he can tell the legs to walk. If Jesus created the ears, he can tell the ears to hear. If Jesus created the wind and the waves, he can tell the wind to stop blowing and the waves to calm. If Jesus created the fig tree, then he can speak to the fig tree. And the fig tree wither. Are you getting me? He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He proved he was God by the things he did in this earth. He had complete authority over all physical things. But that's not all. He also had complete authority over all spiritual things. One thing that I love about the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is you see Jesus walking through the countryside and he would walk up on this village and when he got there, there may be somebody that had a demonic spirit. They were indwelled with a demonic spirit. And before he ever got close to them, that demon would begin screaming out, crying out for fear because they knew Jesus had authority over them. You must have missed that, so I'm going to say it again. These demons were crying out for fear because they knew Jesus had authority over them. Let me tell you something. Listen to me now. I don't go around trying to pick a fight with Satan. And you shouldn't either. I hear these people talk about man going out and, and really battling against Satan and really calling Satan out in their prayers sometimes. And I think, man, I wouldn't do that. You, you don't need to do that. The Bible says you shouldn't do that, as a matter of fact. And I've come to find out, if you'll just live for Jesus, 
You won't have to look for Satan. He'll find you. If you'll just live out your faith, if you'll just keep walking the Spirit, if you'll just keep being what Jesus has saved you to be, I promise you, you won't have to pick a fight with the enemy. He'll bring the fight to you. Now, even though I don't pick a fight with the enemy, I'm not scared of the enemy. Let me tell you why. Because my Jesus has authority over him. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Jesus proved this as he walked upon the earth. He had authority over physical things. He had all authority over spiritual beings. Over spiritual things. Why? Because he is the great I am. He is. Right here in John 15, God incarnate in the flesh. And then he says, he's the vine. He's the vine. What does that mean? We'll look at that in just a moment. Now, not only see that Jesus is the vine, but you also need to see who the husbandman is. The Bible says there in verse number 1 that the father is the husbandman or the vine dresser, the one who takes care of the vine. How many of you are thankful that God the Father has got this thing? You know, Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't know about you, but that blesses my soul. If you are a part of the church, I'm talking about you're a part of the blood-bought, born-again believers, the body of Christ. If you are a part of God's church, you can be rest assured that church is eternal. It will never be overcome by the enemy. Why? Because the husbandman is God the Father. He's the vine dresser. He's taking care of the vine and the branches. He's taking care of it all. Then we need to see who the branches are. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. The branches is the believer. Those who have trusted in Christ. You remember, that's who Jesus is speaking to here. In John chapter 15, he's given what's called the Olivet Discourse. This is when Jesus is in the Mount of Olives speaking to his disciples, the believers, his followers. And so the, the branches are the believers. Now, point number one. Connection with the vine, the Bible speaks here, gives life to the branch. Jesus said, without me, right here in John 15... Ye can do nothing. As a pastor, the Lord has given me the opportunity and the privilege of being a pastor now for about 21 years. In that time, I've had the privilege of preaching many funerals. You say, Roger, what do you mean, privilege of preaching funerals? I'm going to tell you, there is nothing more joyful to me and nothing that, that honors me more when I get the privilege of being a part of the homegoing celebration of a child of God. I, that, that really is an honor for me. I enjoy that. Because I realize for the believer, we have this blessed hope in Christ that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I have this hope in Christ as the believer that for me to live as Christ, that means if I keep living, I'm going to keep living for Jesus. I'm going to keep allowing him to live in me, work on me, and work through me for his honor and his glory. So if I live, I'm going to live for him. But if I die, to die is gain for me. And so I've had the privilege of preaching a whole lot of funerals for believers. Well, let me tell you what I found out about funerals and about dead men. Dead men do nothing. They do nothing. They can do nothing. They will do nothing. 
They lack the power to do anything. Dead men do nothing. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Now let me tell you what I believe he's saying. Without Jesus, we are dead. See, the whole point of John 15, 1 through 11, and we're going to see it in just a moment, the whole point of this is about the life Jesus gives to those who believe in him. That's it. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. Why? Because without Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Do you know that? I can look back at my time pre-Jesus and see that full well. Pre-Jesus, I wasn't living the life that God had created me to live. I wasn't at all. All I was really doing was existing. I mean, I was just getting by the best way I could get by, the best way I knew how. I was just going through the motions. And life really never made sense to me until I accepted Christ. And there's a good reason for that. You're never, ever, ever going to know what life is all about until you know the creator of life. So all I was doing was just existing. There's a lot of people today that are just existing. Do you know, child of God, there's people that you work with every day that's just existing, they ain't really living? Do you know there's people in your family that are just existing, they're not really living, they're just going through the motions? They're just getting by the best they can, just like I used to be. Do you know there's people that you come in contact with on a daily basis at school, young people, that are just existing? I'm going to tell you something. I feel sorry for people who don't know the Lord. Because they used to be where they are. It's kind of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 34. You can write this scripture down. Go back and look at it later. But Jesus looked out over a multitude of people. And the Bible said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That makes sense to me. Really, it means it broke his heart when he looked out and saw all these people. Because they knew, he knew they didn't have a shepherd. They were just wandering around like lost sheep. And what lost, wandering sheep without shepherds do, they did the same thing. They were bumping into stuff that got them into a mess. They were falling into things that they didn't need to be in. They were making a mess of their lives because they had no one to lead God and direct them. They had no one to protect and provide for them. They didn't know the good shepherd and they were just wandering around like sheep. That's where I was. No peace. No real peace. No purpose. No joy. Just getting by the best I could, the best I knew how. Like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, if that don't give you incentive, child of God, to go out and proclaim this glorious gospel, what will? If I love my friend, I don't want them to wonder. I want them to know my shepherd. If I love my family, I don't want them to be lost. I want them to be found. Oh, listen. If I really love my loved ones that I call my loved ones, whoever they are, I want them to know my Jesus because he makes all the difference. 
me ask you something. Let's just say that. Let's just say that I had the cure for cancer. I'm sure that all of us this morning have been touched in some way by this dreaded disease. All of us have. Family members or friends or you know somebody who's dealt with it. And if you know somebody who's dealt with it, you know how serious that disease is. How much pain it causes those who have it and their family. How cruel would I have to be if I had the cure for cancer and wouldn't give it to someone who's suffering? Do you know that people who are dead in trespasses and sins, who are under the condemnation of God, who are enemies of God right now, do you know they have a much worse condition than cancer? Cancer only lasts for a time. When someone dies in their sins, they go to hell for an eternity. In the place where the flame is never quenched and the worm dies not. How much, how cruel would I have to be not to give sick people the cure for their sickness? Are you getting it? People apart from Christ are existing. They're not living. They need the Lord. And we get to be a part of giving the gospel by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That fires me up, man. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of changing people's eternity. Now, don't get me wrong. I can and will save nobody. But I can. And by the power of God, as He gives me opportunity, I will share the truth of who Jesus is. Why? Because it's made a difference in me. I know what it's done for me. I know where I was without Jesus. Without Him, I was dead, and I could do nothing. Amen? Connection with the vine gives life to the branch. I'm talking about eternal life, which is abundant, abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses, He said, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life, and life more abundant. Jesus is offering abundant life to all who trust in Him. Praise the Lord. Now, what I usually hear when I'm witnessing, it, whether in a, in a setting like this or at my workplace or wherever I am and God gives me opportunity, when, when I'm witnessing to somebody, really what people think most of the time, and I can tell by the how they talk and a lot of times by how they act, they, they, they think that if they trust in Jesus, somehow they're giving up something. They're giving up things that they enjoy, things that they like, things that feel good to the flesh. What they don't realize is what they're gaining. What they give up by following Jesus cannot compare with what they gain in Him. And there's a reason for that. The Bible says the enemy has blinded their eyes. All they can see is what's pleasing to the flesh. All they can see is what 
they like to do even though it may not be pleasing unto the Lord. See, I'm, I'm convinced that most people don't have a problem with faith. They have a problem with sin. It's not that they don't have the faith to be saved. It don't take a whole lot of faith to be saved. It really doesn't. Jesus said, if you had the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move, and it would. It don't take a whole lot of faith to trust in the Lord. The reason people don't trust in the Lord is not a lack of faith, but a love of sin. They love their lifestyle. They don't want anybody messing with how they got it. They think they got the world by the tail and they're free to do what they want to do. I'm going to tell you something. True freedom comes in Jesus. Jesus sets us free to be what we ought to be, not what we want to be. You hear me? See, all a lost man do, all a lost man can do is do what a lost man does. He lacks the power to please God. He lacks the power to do anything because he's dead in trespasses and sins. He lacks the power. He needs life. He needs a connection with If you believe it, say amen this morning. See, what they don't realize is that when you get Jesus, there's nothing more blessed than being used of him. Can somebody say amen to that? When you know God is doing the work, when you know the creator of heaven and earth is at work in your life, to make a difference in other people's lives, there's nothing more blessed than that. There's nothing more joyful than that. There's nothing more exciting than that. When you know you have communion with the God of heaven, when you know you pray to him and he hears you, when you know you've got a friend that closer than a brother, when you know you can, listen, look to the hills from that's because that's where your help comes from. When you know the maker of heaven and earth is on your side. Nothing more blessed than that. That's why I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good, just like the psalmist said. You won't be disappointed. You're not losing near as much as you're gaining. I'm talking about a life of peace, peace for living and peace for dying. Wouldn't you like to be able to lay your head down on your pillow tonight and not worry about whether or not you wake up the next morning? I can remember times in my life when I would literally lay in the bed and quiver in fear because I knew I wasn't ready to meet the Lord. And I knew if I died before I woke up the next morning, I would bust hell wide open. I was scared to death of it. I had no peace for dying. And if you don't have peace for dying, you can't have peace for living. You can't. A man is never truly ready to, to live until he's ready to die. And folks, I'm thankful that I have the hope in Christ that I have placed my trust in Him. My sins have been forgiven. My name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And I know that I know that I've been born again into God's family. If I leave this walk of life before I finish this sermon, don't you worry about me. Again, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that for yourself today? Now listen to me. You need to understand that when Jesus, the vine, gives life to the branch, he does three things. First of all, he changes your desire. Your desire. You know, there was a time that I didn't desire the things of God. I mean, if there was any way I could get out of coming to church and being under the preaching and teaching, I was going to do it. If there's any way I could weasel out of that, I wasn't going to be in church because it brought conviction to my life. 
If there was any way I could not be around the people of God, I was going to do it because I was living in a complete contradiction to what, how they were living. And their lifestyle became a conviction to me. Their light in their lives was exposing my darkness. I didn't want any part of that. I'd stay away from it. I didn't want the things of God. I had no desire for the things of God. Oh, but listen, when I was born into the family of God, when I became connected to the vine as a branch, guess what happened? He gave me a new desire. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I am jacked up about getting here Sunday morning. If there's any way possible, I'm not going to miss Sunday morning. I ain't going to miss Sunday night. I'm not going to miss Wednesday night. You say, brother, you've got to be here. You're the pastor. Listen to me, folks. I want you to know something. I ain't got to be here. I don't. It's not a have to or got to. I get to. Now I get to be a part of what God's doing. Now I get to share truth. Now I get to encourage believers. Now I get to be encouraged. Now I get to learn of the purpose God has for me. Now I get to know Jesus more and more and more. He's changed my desire. I want the things of God. I hunger for the things of God. I got to have the things of God. And listen, His presence refreshes me. When you get in the presence of God with the people of God and the place of God, that's a time of refreshing. Praise the Lord. He's changed my desire. Because he's changed my desire, he changed my direction. Amen? Romans chapter 7, I think it's about verse number 18. Paul says, the will to do what is good is present within me. That means he has a desire for the things of God. That's what happens when you get saved. But with that desire, that change in desire, there comes a change of direction. Acts 2.38, Peter preached a fantastic message in Acts chapter 2. In verse number 38, the people were convicted of their sin. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent. Repent. And after you've repented, then you need to be baptized. Are you getting me? Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of direction. It's you going one way and turning and going another way. It's you going your way and turning and going God's way. It's you going in the way that's pleasing to the world and you turning and going in the way that's pleasing unto the Lord. It's a change of direction. God changes your desire. He changes your direction. Let me tell you something else he does. He changes your destination. What is the destination for every child of God? I'll tell you what it is. To become just like Jesus. Let me tell you when that journey starts. That journey begins at the moment you trust in Christ. At the moment you trust in Christ and are born again into the family of God, right then and there, the Holy Spirit of God begins his work in conforming you to the image of the Lord Jesus himself. Romans 8, 29. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. That process begins at the moment of salvation, but culminates when we enter into glory, when we're in heaven and we'll be just like He is. He changes our desire. He changes our direction, and He changes ultimately our destination. Praise God for that. Life is given to the branch by the connection with the vine. Number two, connection with the vine allows the branch to bear fruit. Now, there's a whole lot of different ideas that I've heard preached. 
years that I've heard John 15 preached and many things that I've read, some people believe that the fruit being spoken of here is the fruit of soul winning. Paul speaks of that in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13 about the fruit of soul winning. And um, I think that Romans 1.13 is certainly talking about the fruit of soul winning. Then uh, there's another idea that is, is given in the Word of God about the fruit of holiness. As we grow in holiness, as we grow in our faith, the Bible says that we produce fruit. And so the fruit of holiness, that's another idea that a lot of people have. Let me tell you what I believe is the best explanation for the fruit that's being spoken of here in John 15. This is not original with me. This comes from a dear brother in Christ, a pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, a man by the name of um, Vance Pittman. Vance Pittman is my favorite preacher alive today. Let me tell you what he said about the fruit being spoken of in John 15. He said the fruit here in John 15 is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. That's what fruit is. Let me show you what that means. Look down in John 15, verse number 11. Jesus kind of sums it all up for us. Look how he puts it. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain. Whose joy? His joy. That his joy might remain in who? In us, in the believer, in the branch. That your joy might be full. Let me tell you something. Joy is evidence of the life of Christ in you. Amen? That's why I can't understand these hateful, mean people that sit on church pews every Sunday. Y'all know who I'm talking about. My gosh, what are you mad at? Smile. You were not baptized in pickle juice. But some look like they have been. Some of the most hateful, mean, cantankerous people I've ever been around in my life are in church every Sunday. Something's wrong with that. Joy is evidence of life. And if you don't have the joy of the Lord, you probably don't have life. Maybe you just need to be saved. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus. Maybe you don't know the true giver of joy. Oh, listen, folks. The life of Christ is evidenced by the joy that we have in us. Now, I, heard, I read a story just last week about a, a lady, a, a little girl, actually, she's 11 years old in Winnipeg, Canada, who had actually smiled for seven hours and 38 minutes. And she did it to break the Guinness Book of World Records record for the longest time smiling. Seven hours. And 38 minutes. Now how many of you know you can smile for 7 hours and 38 minutes and still not have joy in your heart? Because a lot of people can put that smile on the face but they know deep down the inside they're lacking the joy that only Jesus can give. Amen? Now let me, t let me say this though. Do you know you can have your tears fill your eyes and pour down your face and still have joy in your heart? Let me tell you why. Get a hold of this. The joy that Jesus gives because of his life in the believer, listen to me now, is steadfast in times of sorrow and it's triumphant in times of tribulation.
See, the truth is you're going to have times of sorrow. John 16, 20, brother, put that on the screen for me, please. Look what it says. John chapter 16, verse number 20. I love how Jesus puts this here. He says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I'll say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. Ye shall be what? Again, he's still talking to his disciples. There's going to come a time. You're going to have some great sorrow. Now, I think he's talking about the next few days that they're going to go through when he's killed on the cross, buried in the tomb. They think it's over. He's also talking about the life they're going to lead for him. How many of you know all of them died a martyr's death except one? All because they were preaching the gospel. They went through times of sorrow, but... Your sorrow, watch, shall be turned to joy. Sorrow will take place in the life of every believer. But the joy of the Lord is steadfast in the midst of your sorrow. You can have tears in your eyes and streaming down your face and still have the joy of the Lord. You can't. Listen to me now. The joy of the Lord is triumphant even in times of tribulation. John 16, Jesus said it like this. In this world you shall have tribulation. Not might, not maybe, not it could happen, but in this world you shall have tribulation. But what's he say? Good cheer. I have overcome the world. In, in, in great times of tribulation, you will have sorrow. The Apostle Paul said that even in the times of tribulation, he had joy in his heart. Read the book of Philippians. Read the book of 2 Corinthians. Folks, sorrow is a reality for the world we live in. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's just because we live in a fallen creation. Tribulations come to us all. If you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, all you got to do is look at the cross. Don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at things happening around you. Listen, those things happen in a fallen world to us all. God is on record for how much he loves you. God tells us that nothing in this world or outside of this world can ever separate us from his precious, powerful love. But in this world, we're going to go through some stuff. Sorrow and tribulation. And I'm thankful that even in those times, our joy can be full. Why? Because our joy is not in temporal things, but in eternal things. In an eternal person. Amen? See, if your joy is in your business and your business goes belly up, guess what? You ain't going to have no joy. And if your joy is in your bank account and your bank account is empty... You ain't going to have no joy. And if your joy is in a physical relationship with your husband or in your, with your wife or with your kids, guess what? That can all change just like that. And if you lose that, then you have no joy. But if your joy is in Jesus, your joy remains in times of sorrow and in times of tribulation. I saw that this weekend. Me and Brandy, Ellie Grace, had the great privilege of going down and getting to see Lake this weekend at the hospital. And it's, it's kind of one of those things for me, especially when you've you know, you got somebody that you love going through a tough time. You always want to do your best to encourage. 
to lift people up. And so all the way down there, I'm praying, just me and the Lord. Lord, give me something to encourage. Help me, Lord, to help them in some way. Help me to lift them up because they went through a tough time. Time of sorrow. Time of trouble, tribulation. And so I get down there. Folks, listen to me. The joy of the Lord was evident in that family's life. They didn't sorrow like they had no hope. They were still walking in, living in, existing in the joy of the Lord. And I left there having them encourage me instead of me encourage them. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says that God's grace is sufficient in our times of weakness. And when we are at our weakest, He's at His strongest. Amen? This is the life we have in Christ. Being a Christian is not about the absence of problems. All of us going to have problems. Being a Christian is about the addition of God's power to help you overcome whatever problem you got. Amen? Connection with the vine allows us to bear fruit. The life of Christ is pressed out through us. Does that mean love and joy and peace? Yes, exactly. that's exactly what it means. All those fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I believe that's exactly what it means. It's the life of Jesus being pressed out through us. Now listen, number three. Connection with the vine allows the branch to bear much fruit. There is a progression here that happens. Jesus starts off talking about bearing fruit. Then he says you'll bear more fruit. Then he says you'll bear much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. How is it possible for there to be a progression in the life of Christ being pressed out through us? How is that possible? I'll tell you how. One word. It's given about seven or eight times in 11 verses. It's called abide. As we abide with Christ, we bear fruit, much for or more fruit, and then much fruit. Do you see that? But we must abide in Him. That begins with our conversion, with us trusting in Christ and being born again, and that continues as we spend time with Him day by day. Are we abiding with Him this morning? That's what, yeah, Of course, that's what all this is about. That's when we come and worship Him. That's when we come and pray to Him. That's when we come and get in His Word. We're abiding with Him as His people. Let me tell you what else that happens. In your personal quiet time, in your personal devotion, in your time of prayer daily. It's day by day, walking with the Lord, abiding with Him, hanging out with Jesus. <laughs> you know what I've come to find out? Who you hang out with has a direct relationship with how you go act. Doesn't it? Young people, listen to me. If you don't hear nothing else I hate to say this morning, you hear this. Who you choose to spend your time with has a direct relationship with how you're going to act. Be careful who you choose to spend your time with. It matters. You will become what you're around. 
Choose wisely. Now, when we choose to spend time with Jesus daily, we can rest assured there'll be that progression in our lives. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Aren't you thankful? Listen to me, folks. We can all have the life that has been purchased and provided by the Lord Jesus. He is the vine. We can be the branch. There must be a connection with Him. He said, without me, when the branch is by itself, it can do nothing. He's right. There's nothing good for that branch then but to be gathered up and burned. Are you getting this? Now, some use John chapter 15 and verse number 2 as an excuse to not believe in the eternal security of the believer. It says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. Everybody see that word take away? A lot of people claim that, you know, that saying that if you're not doing what you need to do, that you are taken out of Jesus. Well, if that's true, then that's a complete contradiction with everything Jesus said in John chapter 10. If that's true, that's a complete contradiction for what Jesus said in John chapter 6. If that's true, that's a complete contradiction of everything, everything that is taught throughout the whole New Testament about the security of those who truly trusted in Christ. So what does this mean? I've done a word study this week on that two words there, taketh away. That can be translated and as many times translated in other translations as pick up. And so I thought, what does that mean that he would pick up if that's what it actually translates to? Let me tell you what that means because I, I read about a vine dresser this week in the, the book, The Secrets of the Vine. Let me tell you what it said. Listen to me now. The vine dresser, when a branch falls into the dirt... Because that's what happens a lot of times. That branch will get weak on its own, fall into the dirt, and get dirty. When it gets dirty, it cannot bear fruit because, listen to me now, it is hindered from the life of the vine being pressed out through it. It's dirty. It gets covered in soil. And so, in the, in the book, having that, when the, the writer was interviewing someone who actually had a vineyard, they said, well, what do you do with that branch? Do you take it off the vine? He said, oh, no, we would never take it off the vine. To take it off the vine would be very unprofitable for us. That branch is much too valuable to cut off. So what we do is pick it up. We pick it up. And we wash it off. And we clean it up. And he said, then what we do, we'll take that branch that's fallen down under its own power and give it some help. We'll tie it to the vine. We'll tie it to the vine so that it can have strength enough to stay out of the dirt, cling to the vine, and bear the fruit that it's supposed to be bearing. Let me tell you something. This morning, Maybe you've gotten dirty with the things of the world and the life of Christ is not being pressed out through you like it should be.
people are not seeing the love of the Lord and the peace of God and the joy of the Lord that should be evident in your life because maybe you've got unconfessed sin in your life. I've got great news for you. Jesus picks us up. God the Father, the vine dresser, picks us up, cleans us up, and makes us useful to the kingdom when we come to Him. Can you say amen to that? Everybody stand up this morning. This is your invitation. If you have not yet trusted in Christ, you don't have a connection with the vine, I've got great news for you. He offers eternal life to all who believe. I want to show you what that means in the Word of God. Would you come today? This invitation is for you if you need to be saved. Now, if you have been saved, but you know you've gotten dirtied up with the ways of the world and there's some unconfessed sin in your life that's hindering you from being what God wants you to be, listen to me. This altar is open for you as well. The Bible says that if we confess our sin as believers, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and do what? Cleanse us. Clean us up. Wash us. Make us clean so that we can be useful to the kingdom. Because that's what makes all the difference. There is nothing that compares to the life we have in Christ. Nothing the world has to offer can compare to that. Quit chasing after the ways of the world and cling to the vine. Amen? You come if you need the Lord in any way.